0: Epigenetics is this powerful capability to understand how the environment affects its tissue, and it can do that in a very precise way. Well, in a very, it can also predict, you know, how you age, uh, whether you are accelerated aging, um, and you can even pick up after a day of sunbathing. Ba- you can really un- understand that your UV ex- exposure has gone up. And if I, you know, take a blood test from you right now, I can, I can tell you how you're living your life, whether you're you're a smoker, whether you're under stress. But it's not mechanistic as such. You wouldn't be able to, you know, link it to a cause. But it would be able to tell you how your state of the health is right now and how well is it improving or is it de- deteriorating over time.
1: Welcome to the personalized medicine podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I am your host, Alexander Jahensky. Let's start. 3, 2, 1, and we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. Today we will be opening a new topic on our show and we'll be talking about something that often goes under the radar when we speak about personalized medicine. We will be talking about personalized skincare. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Shakiba Kaveh and Dr. Christiana Banila, the co-founders of Mitrobio. Mitrobio is a biotech company developing an epigenetic platform to power true personalization of skincare and fight skin aging as a disease. Shakiba and Christiana are great examples of founder-led biotech movement, and I'm very happy to have them on the show. So, without further ado, Shakiba, Christiana, welcome on the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure.
1: Perfect. Great. So, I'm very curious to hear about your story. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about your backgrounds and how you met to form MitraBio.
0: Okay, great. So, maybe I can go first and um, give the floor to Christiana. Um, so myself, I'm a scientist by, by background. I did material science and engineering in Imperial. Then I did a PhD in Cambridge uh, on material science. But as my first job after my PhD, I moved to Paris and uh, worked as a scientist uh, for L'Oreal Advanced Research. And this is very much like a university. So it's all about skin research and hair. They spend 1 billion, I think, every year on the research. So we're talking about, you know, serious things. Um, So I went there and there, I basically uh, understood about, you know, lots of exciting things that are being done on the skin. And I also worked on a project that they were developing at a time, which was to uh, develop a uh, wearable UV sensor, which can understand your UV ex- exposure and sort of uh, warn you when you get like too, too much UV. And this was also where I got exposed to the problem of extracting uh, biomarkers from, from the skin as well and um but i came back to london i worked uh, like 5 years as a management con- consultant uh, but being a scientist i got bored um so i applied to entrepreneur first uh to do a startup
2: and my background is a bit, uh, it's a bit different than Shakiba's. I come from a very heavy science, molecular biology uh, background. I studied biochemistry at Oxford. And after that, I, went, uh, I, I came to London to study diagnostic development for cervical cancer. Um, I worked there on a molecular diagnostic tool um, based on epigenetics and the microbiome that could prevent... Um, prevent uh, not necessarily prevent but give like a predictive risk for women um, in terms of uh, if they would develop cervical cancer in the future Um, and this was based on self-sampling as well and the project I'm happy to say that is currently being trialed by the NHS here here in the UK. And throughout my PhD, I got uh, I got a very good grasp of how epigenetics work in early cancer prediction. And uh, a friend of mine invited me to EF actually to to go and speak to people there about what I'm doing and. To be fair, I did not know much about what EF was at that time, but I thought it was cool, (laughs) and I found myself giving this, let's say, lecture um, to people there about epigenetics, about early diagnostics. And one of the people at the the table um, or in the room was was Washakiba, and she came to me. She told me, like, "Oh, you're doing very cool stuff. (laughs) Do you wanna do? Do you wanna like speak a little bit more? Do you wanna explore this a bit uh, a bit further?" And we started chatting together and I guess a little um, a, a nice friendship flourished between the two of us. And our complementary backgrounds um, showed me being, you know, heavy scientist knowing how to develop diagnostics and her understanding the, the issues in the in the skincare world. It was just natural for us to come about with Mitra.
1: Perfect. Yeah, sounds like a great, a great story and a great match. And you both mentioned EF a little bit. So for, for those in our audience who, who don't know about it, Entrepreneur First, a Startup Accelerator, perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about it, how it works and, and uh, how did it help you to, to found your company?
0: Sure. So I did Entrepreneur First uh, in 2019. I didn't, meet, I didn't actually meet Christiana through the, the program itself, but a f- friend of us. And so Entrepreneur First is a kind of talent investor incubator where they take you on. You don't need to have an idea or a co- co-founder, uh, but they take you on based on the expertise that you know in a in a subject or based on, you know, your past experience of how to run a startup and, you know, do f- fundraising. And they match you with, you know, if you are a, a sort of a CEO, salesperson, they uh uh, hook you up with a uh, technical uh, fa- founder and at the end of three months after you ideate you, you get to pitch to a panel of investors and they give ATK to you to to the start.
1: Perfect got it perfect and now let, let's speak about the most interesting thing uh, about your company about Mitra so you already uh, mentioned how, how you met and how you founded it but I'm curious to hear what is the problem that you are trying to solve and how do you do it?
0: Sure. So, I mean, the 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 problem comes uh, about that, uh, you know, the world spends $200 billion uh, buying anti-aging skincare. Um, but the problem is that nobody knows if it makes any effect to the skin. I mean, people, one in two consumers are not happy about the choice of the creams and they switch all the time between uh, several products to see which one actually works for their skin. Um, and it is uh, forecasted that if you can truly personalize the skincare to the skin type of the individual, you can double the, the market size to 400. Um, then this is because you can simply charge them more over their lifetime. Uh, you could also charge a premium um, on the skincare product that you are selling on to the consumer. Um, and this is why that, you know, over the past 50 years of the skincare, um, there has been a rush of how would you then understand what the skin type and skin needs of an individual is and what can you do to match that to the, to the skin type? Um, and this is ex- exactly what we are trying to do. And this is an unsolved pro- problem. Uh, so to truly you know, understand the skin uh, landscape of someone, you need to uh, take a biopsy, which is invasive and nobody wants to take that.
1: Perfect, got it. So you mentioned already this um, interplay of, of let's say genetic and perhaps also epigenetic factors in uh, skin aging. So I'm curious to hear What is the role of those factors, how you can assess them, and how you can then convert those knowledge into those personalized skincare products?
2: Yeah, so as we all know so far, every single individual is unique in terms of... um, the composition—I mean, ninety-nine percent. Of course, we all <laughs> resemble each other, but there is like that little percentage over there of variability that accounts um, ac- accounts for the potential for personalization, for instance. And we're trying to tackle that, and we're trying to look into the genetic variants as well as the epigenetics um, of uh, of the individual and how how these can account. How can we use them further on for for personalization? And our our focus is mostly epigenetics because it's, it's, it, it has, it, it's a bit more accurate. Um, and why is that it's, uh, it's because epigenetics is the chemical modifications that happen on top of the DNA structure. They don't alter the DNA structure itself, but they influence how genes are expressed. Um, and this gene expression is also very much um, dependent on the environmental factors, aging, etc. So, for instance, let's let's take an example from skin, from collagen. Um, with with aging, you accumulate more epigenetic uh, modifications on the collagen gene, and this gene, um, as a consequence, is not expressed as much, and the uh, the skin el- elasticity and the skin quality goes goes down with aging, as we've seen, and. Epigenetics has, uh, has started to be quite important in, uh, in, in, in this industry because it is also one of the best biomarkers for biological aging. And what I mean by biological aging is is not the age that you' are given at birth, like the number that uh, that, that is defined for you. It's more that how are the cells, the skin cells interacting with the environment and how does the interplay between your own genetics and the environment um Play, play into this bio, biological age at the end. And um, we're, what we're trying to do is to put epigenetics more into a biological clock for specifically for the skin to be able to determine a real biological age for the skin and measure it constantly for the individual to help them, inc- uh, to help them have better, better results by using specific products.
1: So that sounds great. Shakiba, now my question to you: How are you going to tackle that problem of, of, personalization?
0: Right. So as Christiana mentioned on epigenetics is really a new new realm of um, you know topic that we are all exploring. But epigenetics is this powerful uh, ca- capability to understand how the environment affects its tissue. And it can do that in a very precise way. Well, in a very, it can also predict, you know, how you age, uh, whether you are accelerated aging, um, and you can even pick up, you know, after a day of sunbathing, ba- you can really un- understand that your UV ex- exposure has gone up. And if I, you know, take a blood test from you right now, I can, I can tell you how you live in your life, whether you're you're a smoker, whether you're under stress. So it has, you know, but it's not mechanistic as such. You wouldn't be able to, to, you know, link it to a cause, but it would be able to tell you how your state of the health is right now and how well is it improving or is it de- deteriorating over time. So we are using epigenetics um, as sort of our back- backbone to uh, understand how the current state of skin is in terms of the, the age, the UV ex- exposure and many other uh, markers of, of skin to understand how environment, whether it is sun exposure or even topical ingredients uh, on your skin will improve the skin over time. And the, and the, um, the, magic of epigenetics is that you can track it over time. You know, it's not like cutting a biopsy and you look at, you know, what pro- protein and gene is expressed or not, but you can track it over time. And this is very powerful. So uh, we want to utilize this technology um, to really understand the skin type and skin status right now, and to be able to predict it as as what intervention you can take to improve it, um, more like a Fitbit for for skin, if you like.
1: Perfect. Yeah, sounds super exciting. And uh, then I guess you are taking some sort of sample from from the, from those patients uh, and you try to to run those biomarker analysis to determine those let's say, biologic age uh, signatures or epigenetic age uh, signatures, and then recommend them the specific skincare product based base on that, correct?
2: That's the ultimate goal, yes.
1: Perfect. Fantastic. And I'm curious to understand what are the biggest research challenges on the way to get to that truly personalized uh, skincare? So what do we have to do as a scientific community to, to advance on that front?
2: So as Rekiba mentioned earlier, the lack of biomarkers to characterize skin aging and skin in general is one of them. It's a big one. And another one would be having adequate clinical models for actually understanding how skin works. Um, so, so far... Um, there has been a lot of work in um, in vitro models or in various animal models, which have been pretty good for um, giving us an idea about like mecha- me- mechanisms that are behind aging as a concept in general. But um, you can't necessarily compare cells in a Petri dish or 3D models or even mouse cells and mice as a, as a model to the actual complexity in the human body and in uh, the human skin. So... Uh, because there is no no reliable way to actually mimic the human the human skin and human the complexity behind metabolism, it is quite it's quite difficult to to understand skin aging um and to come back to to the biomarker side as well so there have been a lot of efforts um, under like Using proteomics, using various <laughs> omics to to characterize skin, but there is no single biomarker at the moment that is sensitive enough to actually um, characterize aging and also characterize how various ingredients interact with the skin.
1: Got it. And do you believe that this that we could find uh, some single unique biomarker that would help us do this uh, to do this, or it's rather a network of uh, different molecules? and multi-Omic data that would help us then understand that stage.
2: Yeah, that's the second one. Okay. <laughs> so it's more like an interplay between multiple biomarkers, multiple types of biomarkers that are going to be useful for giving us an idea of how how skin and skin aging works. Um, we have to we have to look into genetics, epigenetic, proteomics, transcriptomics uh, to have an overall idea. And not only that, we have to translate these studies into longitudinal ones. We have to go and to analyze the individual over time to understand. And how these processes actually are changing. And for that, um, we need good sampling methods because having biopsies is not, re- is not good.
1: Got it. And then if I may ask what that better sampling method could be uh, to, for us to, to, to make those uh, larger longitudinal studies?
2: Yeah, so we're um, we're we're testing out some non-invasive uh, sampling at the moment. Um, we have this philosophy in Mitra that we want to be non-invasive. We don't want to employ any any invasive uh, procedures to be able to characterize skin so um we're we've, we've been doing a lot of work um on in vi- uh, in in vivo so on actual human skin by using our non-invasive uh, approach um it's 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 very easy you just uh, um, it, it collects cells from from the surface of uh, of the skin, and we've done some uh, comparative studies um, to understand, you know, how well how well these biomarkers that we're collecting from our non invasive approach correlate to to data from biopsies, for instance, and, and publicly available literature. And we've um, we've we've managed to find quite a high correlation, so we're 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 pretty happy.
1: Yeah, Sounds fantastic. And, and it's such a big game changer if, if you can use that essentially as your, as your sample instead of, as you said, biopsies or unreliable models, uh, be it in vitro cultures or animal models. So if you can collect uh, the actual cells from the actual specific patient uh, in a non-invasive way, that, 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 can, uh, that can change that. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us so if you have any suggestions or comments or would like to recommend a guest please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com you can also reach us on linkedin twitter or facebook just type in personalized medicine podcast and you will find us there to catch our next episode subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform please rate us there and leave a comment this helps us make this show better and reach more people interested in personalized medicine and now let's get back to the interview in general we we try to keep like a very optimistic tone about the future on this podcast and uh, the question that we like to ask uh, our guests is how do they see their field let's say in the 10 years from now so if you look at the personalized skincare personalized skin uh, aging uh, treatment where do you see this space uh, in five to ten years.
0: Sure. So, I mean, personalization um, is something that you know th- that every skincare brand that we've spoken with uh, want to crack. Um, however, up to this point, personalization has been um, at the consumer quiz uh, point. You know, so brands and but uh, brands and re- retailers are trying to figure out how to get past that to get into much deeper um, understanding of how the consumer's skin behaves over time, what ingredients would affect that, uh, and what factors can allow them to predict that in the future so they can not only produce targeted in- ingredients for the uh, you know, um, uh, individual skin, but also um, sort of predict the, the trends So um, and I was reading some stats, and um, actually last year, sixty percent of all the investment in the beauty space was on personalization technologies. Um, And these technologies sort of, you know, range from diagnostics uh, such as AI's that mines the different ingredients to skin imaging techniques that you know you you take a photo of your skin and. Uh, it, it understand your your skin type or made to order creams. so there are you know so many um, companies are now working to uh, understand uh, people's skin from a quiz and sort of um, formulate a personalized cream for them. Um, however, uh, we believe that all of these are only touching the the, the surface Um, in in order to really uh, latch onto a personalized, truly personalized skincare, like what we're seeing in the personalized medicine, is to go really deep into the skin. Um, And for us, the future of skincare is when you will truly know your, your skin type, how it changes with your lifestyle, um, et cetera. And then you can be connected to the right ingredients to actually treat, treat that. So the future of skincare, I would say it will be more uh, towards a medicinal approach.
1: Speaking about that medicinal approach, and we've spoken a little bit about the skin aging, but maybe there are any specific diseases of skin that can be also targeted using, say, personalized genomics or epigenomics, epigenetic um, biomarker approaches.
2: Absolutely, it's um, it's a, it's it's there are a lot of opportunities out there in terms of apl- um, applying this this technology, and one of them is actually stratifying uh, patients with uh, with skin cancer, as I've mentioned um, earlier. So my my background is in um, early cancer prediction and detection, and I've learned there that epigenetics is actually the, one of the most accurate biomarkers to indicate whether like a lesion or part of the body is indeed prone to cancer or it has or already has the disease. Um, so with, with epigenetics in melanoma prediction, melanoma stratification, for instance, it's, it's quite an important space that can be tackled because at the moment, um, one in 10 patients that are referred for a biopsy actually have melanoma, actually have the disease itself. The the, the rest, the nine, are just investigated by the dermatologist, but the dermatologist doesn't necessarily have the capacity to say whether that is indeed melanoma or not. So they refer these patients to the invasive biopsy. So this kind of leads to a very crowded health system that is in desperate need of, um, of, of, of a stratification method that can help patients um, I mean that can identify patients that actually have the disease so um, so for, so yes like cancer skin cancer is one of them and for for other diseases of course there is a very good space for applying epigenomics analysis because, um dermatology the, the dermatology is the one one of the most crowded specialities out there, and clinicians are in desperate need of objective tools to to help them out and help them identify patients and identify the disease.
1: Perfect, yeah, and I guess if you look at diseases like psoriasis, different types of dermatitis, there' also there are a lot of effective medicines, but they ultimately do not work. To the same extent, yeah. same extent with different people. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. So, um, for uh, psoriasis, for instance, there is um, a plethora of drugs out there that have been tested on, uh, on individuals and on some of them. These drugs work, but on others they just don't, and there is very little understanding why there is this variability in how how the drug actually affects um, how how the drug performs. And a lot of clinicians have turned to to understanding a little bit more of okay, so how are these genes expressed? What what is like the differences in uh, um, epigenetic markers in these individuals that have the have have been positive for the drug versus the ones negative? And so far, these um, so these studies have been performed. Using using, uh, again, invasive methods of, uh, of skin collection, which are not necessarily scalable. So I guess like the biggest challenge in introducing this sort of analysis for disease, pre- uh, for disease prediction and disease uh, diagnostics is to actually bring on the table a good, di- a good diagnostic device that can be used constantly on the individual without scarring them.
1: Go ahead. Perfect. Yeah, sounds like a very important mission and that can be also applied to multiple uh, different diseases and conditions. And as you said, often when we think about skincare, we just think about cosmetics, but it's there is far more to it than that. Great. Uh, Shakiva, Christiana, I think the question that a lot of our listeners would like to ask you, and a lot of them are also young scientists who are thinking about some entrepreneurial adventures of their own. What were the main uh, lessons that you've learned from starting your own company and what were the biggest challenges that you faced building up MitraBio and taking it off the ground?
0: Sure. So we started Mitra Bio, uh in the middle of pandemic, actually at the start of it, uh, March 2020, when in the UK we went into lockdown. And it was actually, um, it played a bit to our, our advantage in a way that we could really, you know, uh, come together, me and Christiana, and really, you know, think and interview p- p- people who were just at home, not doing much. Uh, but at the same time, where we struggled was fundraising. So it took us six months to actually uh, f- get our first check. And our first check came from Entrepreneur First, uh, who, you know, I, I did their pro- program. But Where I would say that first-time founders, especially scientists, uh, which me and Christiana are two of them, we face is the lack of the right technical VCs or early, super early stage funds that can actually understand what you're doing uh, and benchmark your backgrounds and take a bet on you. So I think this is uh, where you know it took us a bit of time um, yeah, I would add on uh, on what Shakiba
2: said with uh, with my with my personal <laughs> view that uh, you know getting lab access and lab supplies in the middle of pandemic was incredibly hard thing to do, and we had to be very creative with that. Um, we started, I think, we at one point we were ordering some pipette tips from Amazon because there was this uh, global shortage of <laughs> of pipets. But uh, honestly, I mean, looking back, it's it's been very fun just uh, you know finding creative ways to find all the supplies for us to to carry on the experimental work that we needed to to move on and move uh, move past uh,
1: past our goals i guess finding love space is difficult under normal circumstances like let alone during, <laughs> during during the pandemic times but i think it's also like a great testament to to what you were able to achieve and also starting in the let's say not particularly favorable environment just because of the craziness of the times, um, but uh, also making incredibly uh, doing incredibly well and now, maybe kind of converting that experience and maybe digesting it a little bit uh, from your perspective, which advice would you give to uh, to people who are thinking about starting their own company um, what What are the things that they should consider before making that leap?
2: They need to do their research, I presume. <laughs> They need to understand the the space they want to enter first, and how their idea can be um, it's it's innovative enough for for that field. Um, and I guess like one piece of advice from from me to them would be to just to persevere and constantly ask for advice and. Science is changing literally every day. and new publication are coming out constantly. So being up to reading and being up to date with all that's happening in the, their desired field, especially with biotech companies, is absolutely key and crucial.
0: And also, I would add something that, that um, you know, as a scientist and engineers, when you want to start com- companies, you immediately go and you want to build the solution straight away and show to everyone, and this is the wrong way to do it, right? Uh, you know, you need to really understand why would anyone pay for that. Understand the need, understand the market, and come up with really, you know, a, a, a factful story of what the real pro- problem is. You know, um, we, as a, as engineers, we want to just, you know, build something for a problem that is in our minds whereas you know in the true world they don't they might not actually need, need that
2: yeah absolutely you can ben- build absolutely anything you put into your head but you know so what <laughs> how can you how can you use whatever you build to actually solve a tangible problem out there so it's it's, it's incredibly important to, to to understand what you're doing before you start doing it
1: Great. Yeah, I can only second that. Problem first, solution second. Uh, that, that's true. And I think that's, that's what a lot of us scientists or engineers are guilty about when, when we are thinking about our entrepreneurial ideas. Perfect. Shagiba, Christiana, thanks a lot for, for your answers. This was amazing to hear your story, uh, what you are, have been up to. Last question before I let you go. Where can our audience find you online in case they would like to reach out?
0: Yeah, so we're uh, our website is uh, mitra.bio and my email is shakiba at mitra.bio. So super simple and we'd love to hear uh, from your audience.
1: Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver the best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's p-m-e-d-c-a-s-t.com. Our show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest, write us an email to team at pmedcast.com or reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Thank you very much, have a great day, and until next time.